Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Rising Giants with your hosts, Max Thornton and Dom Kalusik, where we talk with the leading entrepreneurs, investors, and creatives in Cambodia's vibrant startup scene to learn what it means to be a rising giant. On this week's episode, we welcome Joshua Jones, CEO of Three Corner Coffee, a social enterprise which aims to produce and promote 100% Cambodian coffee products with international standards of hygiene and quality giving Cambodians the ability to compete in today's and tomorrow's global economy. Three Corner Coffee Roaster currently sources its Cambodian Robusta coffee from both the Khmer and indigenous growers in Mandokiri province and is one of Cambodia's leading coffee producers today. Some points from the show, how Josh likes his coffee and the coffee boom in Cambodia, how Cambodia's coffee industry kicked off and where it is today, Three Corners Coffee startup story and how they have built one of the best local brands working with the indigenous growers in the Monokiri province. And what does the future of coffee hold in Cambodia in the coming years? For us, we are really excited to share this episode with Josh and we hope you enjoy it too. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Rising Giants FM and then check out our link tree linked in the notes to learn more of where you can find us. And now back to the show. Josh, thank you so much for coming on to Rising Giants with us today. We are very excited to talk to you about your journey, about Three Corners Coffee and all the other exciting activities and businesses that you're up to. I think a great place to start having had coffee involved in, you know, in the past decade or over decade. How do you like your coffee? And do you feel like how you like your coffee best describes who you are right now? Yeah, I, I would say that I like my coffee black and thick. A lot of people would take that the wrong way. But uh, yeah, it describes who I am because with Three Corner Coffee, I need to be taste testing and being understanding the quality and, and the flavor that we're bringing off the line and just making sure that the coffee is consistent so I don't want to water it down too much. So I'll usually have a double espresso with just a little bit of hot water on top. So it's it's more like a thick Americano, I would say. Okay, nice. And have you had it that way your entire life? Or have you gone through the ebbs and flows of trying it with a little bit of oat milk or a little bit of sugar? So I actually didn't like coffee growing up. I got into it from a technical standpoint. I started managing a cafe and I needed to actually start to understand what it was that I was selling my customers and I didn't want to not know. So I started drinking coffee just to understand the quality aspect of it. And then further on with three corner, as I started to work with the roaster, then it came more of like more of a addiction then. Yeah. So yeah, just straight espresso. <laughs> that, that's great. And we'd love to also jump into your background as well. You've been in Cambodia for like, you know, one of the, one of the entrepreneurs here and people in the country, they've been a very, quite a long time. You said you, you got here in the early nineties. What was it like growing up in Cambodia at that time? And uh, how have you think, seen things change in your, in your nearly 30 years in the country? Yeah, gosh, so much, so much change, especially in the last 20 years. The first 10 years was still quite slow, but the last 20 years, there's been huge development. For myself, I, I was first in Sihanoukville on one of the beach towns. And in the early 90s, there was no telephone. There was no access to internet, nothing nothing of that sort out in the out in the provinces. So we were pretty cut off from anything going on, even say in Phnom Penh. So if I base it on what I've seen in Sinochville, it's been massively changed, especially by the influx of Chinese coming in in the last 10 years. And so just, like I said, huge development, a lot of it a little bit too quick, I think. A lot of green spaces have been cut down, unfortunately, but I think that overall the development that is being done here is quite, has been necessary for the country to come out of the, the wartime, the consequences of the war. 
And when would you say you really started seeing things that change from an entrepreneurial perspective? So being able to start a business and raise capital and, and scale, when did you see that momentum and, and made you want to move into the entrepreneurship space? So for me, I've had a number of, a lot of different jobs. I was a bit of a jack of all trades. I've worked in many different industries from like say gold mining to printing to landscaping. So for me, I was more just looking for something to catch my interest. And when coffee did, that was where I really started to invest myself. So as far as the entrepreneurial side, I would say that come 2010 was when I really started to do that. And that was with the start of Three Corner Coffee and really gaining a passion for something that that I could do and that I could excel in. And so that's that's where it really generated for me. I don't know that it had to do with, the, with Cambodia or the situation here. It was more my situation in regards to life and where I was at. Okay. And uh, just for the audience, can you give a general overview of the coffee industry, coffee sector in Cambodia and how it's changed over time, let's say in the last five years or so? Yeah. So, well, five years, I'll go back to 10 years. But when we started, we were the first international roaster that kind of showcases the how Cambodia has developed over the last 12 years. There was only a small handful of cafes where you could get a proper latte or or espresso or americano these things were readily were not readily available and usually in five star hotels that type of thing so as we as we started to be established and as we started to access the market and penetrate the market other people started to gain interest i'm not saying that it was all on us but during, we came in at the right time just as things were developing and during the next 4 to 5 years coffee exploded here there were cafes opening up left and right and they would last maybe say six months to a year and then shut down again. It was just everybody wanted to get into coffee and whoever it was that had a little bit of extra cash would dump that into doing a cafe. And so the last five years has been a lot more on the development of the, the quality of the coffee. So Barista Competition started in 2011. We, we were one of the sponsors for that. And so during the course of the next four to five years, judging the competitions was one of the things that I was able to do. So I had a kind of a finger on the pulse of of how good the baristas were getting and and the various cafes who were up and coming and it and over the next four to five years you saw it go from i can barely drink this to okay wow now we have some serious uh, skills going on here people really really investing their time and effort and understanding the quality of the coffee and then further on the last four or five years after that then we are seeing where there's a stronger stronger push to make that consistent overall throughout the market. So you have a lot of cafes, a lot of small cafes that have fairly good coffee. I mean, I can stop on the side of the road and find an espresso sh- machine within, usually within, you know, within 100 yards of wherever I'm at throughout Phnom Penh. But now that is going to need to change to the provinces, and that is just slowly starting now. Yeah, and would you say, so you would consider in the early days or what you would consider the early days of the coffee hype, it, w- it was... Was it just quite low overhead to get one off the ground, just to get a shop off the ground, and it was kind of the like the sexy thing to do? Yeah, I would say that that would be correct. It, it doesn't take a lot, and usually the design of the cafe can then be turned into a restaurant or some other style of business. So the only thing that they needed to add was an espresso machine and grinder and, and the implements around that. And so those would usually run about 5 to 6K for a brand new one back in the day and and shouldn't shouldn't take too much to, uh, to get that started. It was about the image of it as well because this coffee is really a social thing here, and so bring 
the ones that were successful were the ones that were able to get that community of coffee drinkers to come and do their morning duties there. They would go and they'd have their, their coffee, they would talk business, they would talk their politics, and then they would move on. Those were the ones that actually maintained a successful repertoire. It's really interesting to think about how coffee ha brings together people in, under different circumstances in so many different ways. It's just such a, a social event as well, just a social experience. And not only is it that you have to have good coffee, but cu cultivating that environment where people want to come to your space and be able to share those experiences too is really interesting. And from the perspective, and from during that time too, where were a lot of the beans sourced? Was it locally? Were, was there a specific area in Cambodia or just in general, where was, were a lot of these beans coming from? So very, very early on, say 2010 to 2013, it was all international beans coming in from France and Italy. You had Italy, you had Lavazza, you had other players coming in and, and starting to sell their coffees here. There was a good influx of Thai coffee through Bon Cafe. And uh, these were the uh, these were the major players for many years. But then as Three Corner Coffee got, got started and as other roasters started to follow suit, then then there started to be more of this, more of a coffee culture to supporting locally roasted beans. We still haven't seen any major adoption of Cambodian made beans. This has been one of our main goals. And we've always, I think we were, we've been one of the major proponents of Cambodian produced and grown coffees. And it's, that's a part of what we want to be able to really, really build here locally as well. But other than that, I would say that you have a big influx from big influence from Laos and Vietnam as well. And this is more with like, the, like say the local style coffee. That's not with the espresso machine. That's more like say brewed local style. The, those ones are the big names here. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So that maybe sets us up to talk a little bit about the origin story of Three Corner Coffee. So, so yeah, please, yeah, just tell us a bit about like how, how everything's developed with the company and how, you know, how it looks today and what you're focusing on. So for Three Corner, obviously the name blends itself to something. The three different corners actually refer to Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. These were the three original nations that grew coffee in Indochina. I know that the coffee came to Southeast Asia much earlier than that through the Dutch, but the French were the ones that brought it into Indochina in the 1850s. The first peoples to grow coffee were the indigenous farmers between Mondo, between Mondokiri and Dalat or Da Nang in, in Vietnam. And so those two nations were really the first. And then Lao, of course, picked that up and started to grow coffee as well. So those are the three corners that we have for Three Corner Coffee Roaster. And so we developed our coffees to have the Arabica from Lao in Vietnam, since Cambodia's elevation is quite low and does not support high-quality Arabica. And then we would source Robusta from the local farmers here. And many years went by before we were able to source enough to sustain our needs from the indigenous farmers. So we supplemented from those from Vietnam and Laos as well. So I guess you could call us a regional roaster. And where we are at right now, I think 2018, 2019, we were able to come to a point where Three Corner Coffee was doing only Cambodian Robusta. So we brought up the indigenous farmers to a point where they were able to supply all of our needs for the Robusta. So we came from 40 kilograms in 2011 with the indigenous farmers, and we brought it all the way up to 34 tons in 2019. So a big, a big shift for the farmers and for the demand there. We need to take that farther. And where we are at right now, looking for the next couple of years, is building a presence directly there in Mondokiri to help the indigenous farmers be able to grow that demand.
just to put that into perspective, like how many how many tons are produced in in Cambodia on an annual basis? So the numbers vary from source to source, but we would probably guess it's around 200 tons a year. This is mostly sourced by Vietnam. And then you have a few major players that have their own plantations. A lot of it goes to waste, I would say, where the farmers just don't have a market for it, so they don't pick it. But 200 tons is, would be a rough estimate of the production here locally. And and what, what percent of that do you roughly allocate to, to Three Corner Coffee? So... 2019 was our peak, obviously, okay. with COVID. It yeah. cut us down with the 34 tons, yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, That yeah, that, that's understood. And what has it been like, you know, building that relationship, as you say, with the the indigenous in Mondokuri? Like, what is that? Yeah, what, like, how is it, how did you, how were you able to build that relationship? So we were very, uh, we were very blessed. Uh, having Me having grown up here for many, many years, I was familiar with a family, a missionary family here who had been traveling up to Mondokiri even before the roads were finished by, by dirt bike and had been going up there to minister to the indigenous farmers up there. And so I connected with, with them and they introduced me to some of the local elders. So there was a previously established relationship that I, that I was able to gain their trust rather quickly. And we went up there to buy. It was, hey, give me your beans, I'll give you cash. And it was, a, and that's not a that's not a hard thing to to bargain then, especially if you don't have anybody buying your coffee for any type of real value. So the process of that was just that regularity that we had every single year going up, meeting with the farmers, buying what beans we could, encouraging them to do better practices. The one of the main elders that we met with there, he actually started to incorporate many of our he started to incorporate many of our suggestions in his farming practices and he saw a change and and so he has continued to be one of the main um, proponents of doing the coffee the correct way. Now it's still a very difficult thing. Farmers are not are not gonna just do what is hard and then hope for a better thing. They've got to have the better thing in hand. It, it's a very, it's an unfortunate thing, but that's that's the situation that they are in. So we've continued to just go up there and take what we can get from the farmers and meet them kind of halfway. So the, one of the ways that we do that is we do hand sorting of the green coffee beans to remove any of the damaged or bad beans. That way then we are able to present it as a high quality cup of coffee from Cambodia. Okay, and one other thing I'm curious on you. So you mentioned that there's 200 tons produced in Cambodia a year. What is what is the current consumption in the country that you, that you estimate? Well, I think that the, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> it is it is a definitely a growing thing. I think that that coffee here in Cambodia has been continuing to expand. More and more people are drinking it. If you're going to include instant or not include instant, that would create a big impact on the numbers. But I would say on average, you would have at least 30% of the population that would have access to, let's not say instant, just have access to a quality cup of, well, not quality, but have access to an espresso-based drink, like through Amazon, through their local little cafes, through, and then of course in the capital city and whatnot, through other major chains as well. And so half of that will probably actually do the drinking. Worldwide statistics say that more than half of the population will have a cup of coffee every 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 week or every few days. So you can probably see 30, 15%. Yeah, about, about 1.6 million people might have a cup of coffee. So... I don't know how to translate that right now into into a thing off the top of my head. But yeah, you're looking at probably a demand of only half that, 100, mil, 100, 100 tons of coffee. But most of that is already imported. So 
Okay. No, I, yeah, that was that was just one thing I was I was curious is if the if the production has you know is currently gone above the actual local consumption. But of course, this is I mean most of the most of the coffee that's grown now, as you say, is you're you're looking to to also export and not just focus on the local market. So, what 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 are some of the things that you need to do in order to in order to take the coffee global? These are the very key aspects that Three Corner has been dealing with since the very beginning is the quality and consistency with the farmers. So much of the difficulties that we have is making sure that we get a consistent and quality supply from them. And even so, what we're ending up getting out of it is still not at that level yet. So this is why we do the hand sorting prior to roasting and then another hand sort after roasting, just to make sure that we're able to keep our quality at the necessary levels. So the key things that they would need is to be able to offer a consistent guarantee of the coffee beans to be able to reach that international market. As it currently stands, if we were to send samples out there, even if we were to pick the best of them and then uh, try to match that in the orders... Within one within one order, the people would no longer be the the buyers would be no longer willing to take it because there would be too much trash and too much defects. There's no consistency in size as well. We would have to add in machines to be able to sort out the density and the size and the quality of the beans overall. So really, what we are needing is a post harvest processing plant, and that's what the Three Corner is looking to gain investment for over the next couple of years. Is a is something that's going to go and be established there directly, work with the farmers where they are at, and source the beans from them, source the raw dried cherries or the fresh cherries even, and process the coffees in such a way that it is able to meet those standards. When you talk about the entire front-to-back process, it sounds very time-intensive. Could you give the audience an idea of what that entire process looks like in terms of maybe the length of time and how hands-on or hands-off in certain areas it would be for the trading house or for uh, three corner currently for the trading house mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so in regards to the trading house there's at least a half a dozen different machines that you would want to be able to incorporate into the production line to be able to do the coffee at a good at a good level right now they need help harvesting because their community is still small and coffee is still not able to sustain them as far as a singular product they do many different products so they would need a lot of help to be able to harvest to irrigate and to fertilize their their farms and beyond that if we are able to get a good a good product out of it a good a good amount of cherries out of it then we need to go through such things as drying if we do a honey process then it will be a little bit different but it'll still have the same size grading and trash trash removal trying to make sure that we don't have any rocks or sticks in the process and then you also end up doing a density sort where you the beans may be the same size but their density will be a little bit different and so you got to be able to separate those out otherwise people at the roasting level will not be able to have a consistent product so when you take a look at normal green coffee beans that you would buy from the international market you take a look at it and it's going to be all kind of one singular color all one one size and when you roast it it's going to be the same thing at whatever level you roast it all of the beans are going to be roughly the same cambodia is not at that point yet because there is inconsistent because there is inconsistent fertilization there's inconsistent irrigation the densities and the size of the beans vary quite greatly and then at the at the processing side, you're going to end up with the different style of hullers that are going to also affect the uh, the end quality of the of the coffee, and you're going to end up with a lot more broken beans if you use the wrong one. And so being able to invest that that's 
I would say easily you're doubling the amount of time that the farmers put into the coffee currently, if not more than that. And again, it's all the equipment that is necessary to do that. They don't have that and using very basic equipment right now from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of when you mention about going for investment, you know, within the very near future, can you talk to us about maybe what specifically it is that you're looking for in terms of investment and maybe some of the type of investors that you're looking for specifically? So in regards to the trading house and for investment, we are looking for impact investors that are going to be able to weigh both the impact versus the cash investment and the return on investment. We want to be able to partner with them because we want to be able to have the trading house function eventually in the same way as a cooperative. It Right now, cooperatives in Cambodia do not are usually not very successful, and I don't. I think I've only seen one that has actually lasted more than ten years. And so, being able to be as a for-profit business, where you're able to then kind of shift things into more of a cooperative mode with the farmers that are willing to invest themselves, that's kind of the uh, the concept there. And so, having an investor that understands that is is going to be key. The other thing that we are that I would say as far as the investment goes, we're looking at about probably two million overall, trying to invest this po- on on the post harvest processing line, as well as storage, as well as being able to purchase the beans from year to year and being able to develop the market, which will take a little while as well. Okay. And I also just want to touch on, you know, you're mentioning about impact investors. I also would be curious to know, you know, when you're looking to bring on board an impact investor, is it also quite, as, as being a small company and such, can it also be quite a, a task to, um, to deal with all of their requirements for, for their investment? Like a lot of the analysis and the reporting that, that is required, or are you able, do you find you're able to communicate that clearly and, and meet their requirements for, for like this, this other aspect of the investment beyond the financials? So as far as the Three Corner Coffee goes, we have been blessed since the very beginning with the original owners and myself coming on. We did this business in such a way where we wanted to establish it fully legally, tax paying with all the necessary registrations and certifications locally to be able to to function as a proper business. That has not helped out in, in many years where the taxation hurt us, but we wanted to do this because we wanted to be a representative business and showcase the fact that you can be a small business, you can pay your taxes into the infrastructure and into the system and still be successful. So that being said, I think this is a big challenge for many companies or many small enterprises that would want to gain this type of investment because they have not done that yet. So for us, this is not a, not a point or an issue for us. And we already have come from a standpoint of wanting to help. We have our impact, though it's not necessarily cataloged. We have our impact as, as general numbers of what we have been able to support the farmers in. So I would say that with impact investors, it is not so difficult for us. It is, it is rather clear cut. The, the real difficulty is the projection of, of, of moving forward. All right, so where do we take this? Where do we go with this? I have 100 different options that we can do with the coffee roaster and the coffee trading house. But where where do we set on? What do we set on as far as our, our natural path to go forward that is going to generate the most impact that is measurable, that is traceable? So that's kind of where I see this, the, uh, the hardest part of it. But everything else, like I said, I think that Three Corner was blessed to have this already incorporated into our business model since the very beginning. Okay. So if we were to fast forward five years into the future, what would you, what would you want Three Corner Coffee to look like at, in 2028? 
Well, everything going right. <laughs> no second pandemic. Five years from now, what I would like to see is I would like to see Three Corner Coffee as the banner holder for Cambodian coffee. I think that we have already established ourselves in that way, being the first roaster, international standard roaster to, to start in Cambodia after the war. And also because we have been supporting the indigenous farmers and putting on the shelf the only 100% Cambodian coffee product for many, many years that is done at a proper at a proper quality. So I want to be the, the standard bearer for Cambodian coffee. That's where I would like to see us head towards. So being there not only to have fresh coffee on the shelf, providing for wholesale distribution, which we are already already doing, but also being able to put out a number of different brewed products as well, cold brew putting out products that would be ready to brew, such as our sachets. So diversifying our product range and being able to penetrate more of the base of the pyramid, I would say. The vast majority of the Cambodians that don't drink fresh coffee regularly, like we were talking earlier, 30% is where the maximum that I think that have access to a quality cup of coffee. And everyone else that drinks it would be instant coffee. I won't say any names, but we want to be able to change that habit to be drinking something that is produced locally, grown locally and produced locally. And so that's where that's what I want to be. I want to be the Cambodian coffee to come to. Okay. Okay. Und yeah, understood on that. And t today, so how, how big is your team today? Today, we are down from COVID to eight people. Eight uh, people. Seven, eight, seven, eight people are on staff. That's not including, but we were at about 17 prior okay. to, to COVID hitting. <laughs> Can you tell us about your, yeah, just quickly tell us about your experience with COVID and how that, you know, how, I mean, of, of course it, you know, it sort of impacted pretty much everyone negatively, but mm. like, what was, what was some of the, uh, the hits that, that, that w the coffee industry had to deal with in, during the, during the COVID time? So huge, huge hit, which I think it would be talked about by most manufacturers here. Most, uh, most uh, small businesses would be the tourism industry. So the tourism industry literally dropped off the map and Core Watch shut down, Siem Reap shut down. And I would say I, as far as we go, we lost about 60% of our business just from that because the major hotels up there, a lot of them were taking our coffees for, for their breakfast and for their a la carte coffee. So our major distributor at the time was doing about five tons a year and that went down to zero in the matter of a month. So we... We lost a lot on that side. The reason we were able to stay alive was we also had a good local following through our retail coffees. So a lot of the expats here and a lot of the Khmer's that uh, drink quality coffee at home were, were then turned out to be our only market at that point. We still had some cafes operating that were able to do delivery. And so we did, we did still have some of our wholesale distribution. But primarily, like I said, it's just those hotels, the tourism and hospitality industry that just fell off the map. Yeah, obviously that is a that's a very very difficult situation to have to deal with. And as a business leader at a business, how was it going through that situation? How were you able to absorb what was going on? Kind of take a look at how to maintain the business at that time. So we were really again we were really blessed. Uh, Twenty nineteen came in and we were seeing things growing. We had the big distributor on wholesale. We were doing well on retail. And we invested um, a lot into doing higher quantities, whether it was a higher quantity of packaging, a higher quantity of beans that with those 34 tons. 
And so coming through COVID, we had all the stock that we needed. Now, it was, it, it was unfortunate that we had to go. It was unfortunate that we had so much. But then it was a blessing as well that we didn't have to buy much at all during those two years. We had enough to be able to supplement us throughout. And whatever small amounts that we had to continue to source, as far as like, like the Arabica goes, we had we had enough to be able to do that. And so... We were set for those two years. And again, that's not the normal situation with me. I think that a lot of businesses would be, would have been much more affected. I think that we would have been much more affected if, and had to have taken more drastic measures to, to cut spending if we had not had all that stuff. Yeah. And you also mentioned about CM Reap and, you know, some of these hotels that you work with. Have you seen a rebound like in the last year? What's like, you know, what was your versus like some of your expectations for like the post post COVID rebound? In regards to CM Reap and the bounce back, it has not been as we had hoped this year. 2022 did did still increase, and we are very thankful for that, but we're still kind of running on the edge of a knife. We're not able to gain back all of our original clients that we had prior to COVID because of the shift in our distributor closed its doors. We have to now approach our clients directly instead. And this has meant a lot more work for us directly. So we are we're slowly bringing that back. And I think that 2023, end of 2023, we should see enough of a growth to be able to put us comfortably back where we need to be. Do you have any kind of advice for the business leaders that would be, would be you know would be managing at a time like this? What what has really helped you to get to get your team through this? Well, what has helped my team get through this has been again having an, uh, having that extra why. Uh, our key people that we have, my operations manager, my, my production supervisor, these people are key people in my business, and they did not go. And I think the major reason was because they understood some of the reasons why they are working here, what it is that they are working towards, helping build the coffee industry here. And I think that I would recommend that if you do not have a good enough why, that y- your team will eventually just kind of pass on. And if it gets hard, they won't stick with you. That being said, employee HR is a huge problem here with a huge employee turnover. So restructuring in such a way where you can bring in people, train them inexpensively to do what you need them to do, and then allow them to leave when they when they have that oppor- when they want that opportunity to leave. I think that's going to also be key for for people understanding how the flow of employees coming in and going out needs to be. It's not that you're going to retain everybody. You're not going to have a high retention rate here in Cambodia. That's just a fact. So being able to understand that employment flow of coming in and going out, I think that's, that is something that we are just learning now and it is key for other people to understand as well. Got it. If you could have coffee with anyone living or dead, who would you choose and why? See, now you threw me for a loop. I don't know how to answer this one. <laughs> because I have a, I have a, I have a little bit of a conflict of interest on this i would want to say someone that like some i would pick some philosopher probably eastern philosophy just uh just kind of pick their brain but then i have i i love the book dune so oh, yeah. i've read the whole series i do i did it way before the movie came out and not not, not the original movie the new the, yeah, the, one, new the movie, other, okay <laughs> the old one i wasn't even yeah. born yet you're telling uh, of your age and i would i would then i would have to say that if i was to have coffee with somebody it would be probably paul Dib from the dune series you know sprinkle it with a little bit of melange okay, fair <laughs> enough but just to get an understanding of what it means to think on a generational 
level because him and his son they they functioned over the period of of thousands of years especially his son leto they yeah. they were trying to plan for and trying to maintain the human race so that way they would not end they would not die and they were thinking on a generational even eon scale of thousands and thousands of years and i look at the world around me today and if i was to have a cup of coffee it would be with somebody that could also understand that type of thinking Mm-hmm. and be able to start looking at the small steps that can be taken on a day-to-day basis for individuals and families and villages and nations and, and the world itself that can lead itself towards that type of understanding, a generational change. Yeah. Because I think that everyone, everything that you see in front of you is is immediate it's supposed to be immediately pleasurable it's supposed to be immediately entertaining it's supposed to be immediately solving the problem and i don't think that that's the case and i think that most people function in that manner which is why we have such we have war that is why we have a lot of the negative things that we have in the in this world so i would like to talk with somebody have a cup of coffee with somebody that could want to think or that has thought on a generational Mm -hmm. Uh, in a generational scale or multiple generational scale yeah there are you made a really good point that in today's world things are so immediate the satisfaction of getting information or having that sensory overload is almost a consistent thing that we handle day in and day out whether it's through some form of social media or with google or however however you want to cut it but there are there are a few people out there that really do have this thought process of thinking generations ahead of themselves and thinking about, you know, maybe in the present day, it won't have necessarily the massive impact that I would like it to have. But knowing that this kind of development of technology or whatever it may be is going to pay off tenfold for the greater good of humanity down the road. You know, I mean, thinking about people like, like Elon Musk, like get, you know, call him crazy for whatever it is, but still some, an individual that does, think not that just think farther ahead in in terms of what it is that he may be trying to accomplish you know usually a lot of those people are called crazy but i mean those are the people that we look back in history books philosophers those kind of people so yeah it's interesting and i guess that kind of leads to another more philosophical question of why do you think we are here why do you think the human race is here why do you think you are here I don't think it's just a product of chance. I see too many what I see too many crossovers. I see see too much uh, authorship to think that everything is just chance. But I think that we are here and I wouldn't be so conceited as to say the, the the pinnacle of of evolution or anything like that. But I would say that we are here as a key key part of how you can see things grow and change in a way that wouldn't just be natural. It would be you you coordinate with natural laws. You coordinate with the natural way of things. And you can develop it into something new, into something beautiful. I see huge steps in green architecture these days. And it is highly, highly fascinating to see how you can incorporate both nature and construction together. And 
there is so much that we can do as a species. There's so much that we can do to bring things forward that I, I, I would say that that is not a coincidence. I think that that is something that, that is a bit of our purpose being put here is to, is to see ourselves grow into a, I don't know, stewardship mode where all of nature, all of, all of what is around us is, is under our stewardship. And we are meant to take that into a, into the future. We're meant to take it into a sustainable future. It's something that does not, that honors diversity and celebrates it in all of its forms. And, and, and I think that that is, that is kind of where we are at. And what do you think people most misunderstand about you? Me personally, I think it does have to do with my, I think it has to do with how I grew up and the mixture of the cultures that I have, whether it is whether they are Khmer, whether they are from the U.S. Or, or from anywhere. The life and the way that I grew up was very, very unique. So I feel like most uh, most people wouldn't understand. And not, not and with no blame whatsoever, but uh, just there's a lack of understanding of how much East is in my West, so to speak. And this is one of the reasons why I have uh, married my wife is because she has a similar mixture where she is from Cambodia but grew up abroad and has come back. So we provide a good balance to each other in understanding what it means to have a Eastern culture uh, either overlaid with the Western or the Western overlaid with the Eastern. Honestly, that's a very beautiful way to put a relationship as well. I mean, that kind of understanding is, is, uh, is something that is foundational and really pure when it really comes down to it. So that's, that's a really great relationship to be able to cultivate and obviously be happy in as well. And the, our traditional closing question that we like to ask e- each of our guests is, what is the most important piece of advice that you've ever been given? I would say one of the most important pieces of advice that I've been given has to do with myself personally, and it has to do with the fact that we all build upon what we have been given, whether it is our, our growing up, whether it is our personalities, what we have been given is what we build upon. And so understanding that is key to being able to move forward. So understanding who you are as a person, understanding the traumas that you went through, whether it was as a child or whether it was as a young adult or, or all the way up until now, understanding it and dealing with the, whether it's traumas or successes, understanding it and being able to incorporate that into who you are. And if you're not able to be, I guess what you could say is at one with yourself, at one with what you have gone through, then you'll never be able to move forward. And I think that this is something that is greatly lacking in our education system is under trying bringing people to the point or the ability to understand who they are and what they've come out of. Well, I will say that that resonates a lot with, with a lot of how I view myself as well. So I do appreciate that advice too, coming from the other, being on the receiving end of that. <laughs> so thank you for that. And also thank you so much for coming on to Rising Giants with us today. It was a fantastic episode. Max and I really enjoyed our time with you, Josh, and look forward to having a coffee with you soon in Cambodia. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs)